This podcast is presented to you by Fuller Seminary. Now available, the Fuller Leadership Scholarship for students who begin the Certificate of Christian Studies in spring of 2019 or summer of 2019. This new scholarship will cover up to 100% of certificate's tuition cost for select students and is designated for ministry and marketplace leaders looking for new ways to impact their congregation, community, and calling. Take courses in the areas like missional churches and leadership, Christian ethics, dynamics of power and gender in Christian leadership. For more information, visit fuller.edu backslash leadership scholarship. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Conversations. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship through interviews with people doing groundbreaking work and renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from ministers, authors, and practitioners from across the fellowship and beyond. This is Andy Hale. We hope you're beginning to look into General Assembly, June 17th to the 21st in Birmingham, Alabama. Experiencing Christ's love is only the beginning. Pursue your call to love God and love your neighbor as you join your fellowship family to worship, learn, and grow together. Through innovative training experiences, nightly worship, partner events, and a vibrant exhibit hall with live podcast interviews and entertainment, you'll meet Cooperative Baptists from around the United States and beyond. For more information, visit cbf.net backslash General Assembly. Our guest for this week's conversation is Christine Aroni-Sign. She is the founder and facilitator for Godspace, an online community focused on creative, creative spirituality, gardening, and sustainability. She has a new book out, The Gift of Wonder. Christine, thank you for joining the conversation. Well, thank you for asking me. Now, just off first listen, you don't sound like you are from North Georgia. So <laughs> tell us a little bit more about your story. Well, my husband always tells people that I am from the deep south. Uh, I grew up in Australia, uh, trained there as a medical doctor, moved to New Zealand, was in family practice in Christchurch, New Zealand for a couple of years, and then um, joined an organization called Youth with a Mission, which at that point in time had just purchased a ship with the intention of building a hospital on board and uh, doing medical work as well as evangelism in third world countries. And this uh, eventually became Mercy Ships. So I had the tremendous privilege of setting up the hospital on board to do cleft lip and palate and eye surgery and medical and dental work. And as a result of that, um, practiced in virtually every part of the world except for the United States. Um, when I was married um, 26 years ago, I made the decision that I wouldn't practice medicine here in the United States because my love was still very much third world medicine. And so I would work, I would go into um, third world countries still. Um, I had opportunities to work in refugee camps all the kinds of um, life experiences that really turned me upside down in a lot of ways and had me rethinking what it mean to, meant to be a follower of Jesus and what it meant to really be a person of faith. And um, I, you know, it's, it's been a fascinating journey um, and one that through which I have grown stronger and I think my faith has grown stronger as well. Um, I now um, write full-time, I suppose you could say, because I do facilitate uh, a blog called Godspace, but as well as that, I write books and I do speaking and 
generally speaking, have a very fascinating and fun life, I would say. Well, I'm certainly jealous of, of where you're from. Uh, New Zealand, <laughs> New Zealand and Australia are certainly on bucket list. And as a lifelong Tolkien fan, of course, uh, Peter Jackson helped bring that to life with the images of the landscape of, of New Zealand. So, uh, uh -huh. Well, they're both wonderful countries, uh, very different from each other. Uh, I think you feel when you're in Australia that God did a separate creation. Um, but New Zealand looks a little more familiar to most people, but both of them wonderful countries to visit. Oh, wonderful. And surprisingly enough, we actually have a huge podcast following out of Australia. Um, we've got multiple listeners, um, you know, multiple, I mean, just a tremendous set of downloads every single week from Australia. So it's, it's fascinating to hear how maybe people in Australia caught wind of the guests we were having on and they continued to be uh, weekly downloaders of the podcast. So, so hats off to our, our Australian listeners. And if you need me to come do a live podcast, uh, I would be more than willing to <laughs> So you, you went from uh, kind of doing medical missions into writing. Talk us, talk us through that transition in your life. Well, um, my husband, who is an author, uh, Tom Sine, wrote a book many years ago called The Mustard Seed Conspiracy. And um, when we were on our honeymoon, I mean, he really felt that uh, writing books was something that I needed to get into. So he actually introduced me to his publisher in the United Kingdom at that time time um, and so my first book was actually a book about my adventures on um, the mercy ship and it was called tales of a seasick doctor um, because I never actually got over my seasickness um, and so I spent 12 years uh, fighting with seasickness but I would not give up the privilege of what I was able to do uh, in, in, in exchange for not being seasickness. It was just a wonderful way of life. And um, I loved writing that story. Um, but then I started to get much more interested in a, what I tell people, a much more holistic approach to health, really struggling with the question of, um, you know, what is health from God's perspective and what do we need to find the wholeness that God intends for us, not just as individuals, but really as a worldwide community. I think working in refugee camps particularly had me thinking about that because, you know, very much thinking about um, where does my wholeness, or I, I should say, <laughs> how can I be whole without other people being whole? And what are the implications for my faith? Um, and so I started exploring different approaches to Christian spirituality, really feeling that what I'd grown up with um, in terms of, of um, reading the Bible, which I love to do. I used to read the Bible through every year, but recognizing that that didn't always uh, meet my requirements in terms of approach to spirituality and, and the traditional approaches to prayer too. Uh, didn't seem to do that. So I started exploring creative approaches to spirituality. Started my blog, I think, in 2008. Uh, and that was really where they started in terms of looking at creative approaches to spirituality and really expanding the way that I wrote. Um, I got very interested in spirituality and gardening uh, and wrote a book um, actually in 2008, so the blog must have predated that, uh, called 
to garden with God in which I looked at, you know, the way that God is revealed in the garden and in this, the story of God, not just God, but the story of God as well, uh, were revealed in the garden. And so um, then wrote a book called Return to Our Senses, uh, Reimagining How We Pray, which was probably, you know, where I really started to expand looking at contemplative practices, um, wrote some devotional books. And then I feel in many ways that my latest book um, is really the culmination, the gift of wonder is the culmination of uh, my exploration, though I suspect that my journey is going to continue and it's going to be interesting to me to see what I continue to discover in the coming years. Well, take us a little bit further into to God space. I know you're touching a little bit here. Um, you know, what's what's the hope for this online community? Um, how do you see this working um, as a resource for local church pastors? Well, it began as a personal blog, but it became very much a resource uh, for churches and church leaders and much more of a community blog. I, I now have, um, it varies, 30 to 40 different people that uh, contribute on a regular or semi-regular basis, literally from all over the world. I think I have people from eight to 10 different countries that contribute. And a lot of the emphasis is on both spirituality um, from the perspective of creative spirituality, liturgical spirituality. I do a lot of things that revolve around the liturgical calendar and actually provide resources for people that are interested in the liturgical calendar. For example, at the moment, I'm working on revising the resource lists that we put up once a year um, for Holy Week, for Stations of the Cross, Palm Sunday, um, Easter Sunday, all of these kinds of things. And so we do a lot of resources for that. And then I'll also be putting up resources for Earth Day, which follows immediately after Easter Sunday this year. Um, and so it's become very much a resource center for people that are looking for resources, both for their personal spiritual journeys, as well as um, for leadership within the church. I have some tremendous um, authors that contribute, that do beautiful liturgies, um, that do poetry. I have a, um, an author in New Zealand and another one in Wales that contribute poetry regularly. Uh, and I just love to read the richness of what they contribute, um, as well as addressing issues of sustainability and, and often social justice issues too. Our theme for Lent has been breaking down walls um, and helping people to think about not just the, the wall between the US and Mexico and how we should be working to break down those walls rather than to build them, but also the walls that we create in our lives um, and in many ways in our faith as we wall ourselves off from issues that we don't really want to grapple with. So those are the, some of the things that I uh, talk about and focus on in the blog. We're just starting to get ready for a new series, which will start Easter Sunday and in some ways revolve around uh, the topic of my book, The Gift of Wonder. It's going to be, um, we're calling it a season for awe and wonder because I think the Easter season between Easter and Pentecost is be, meant to be very much um, helping us to connect to the awe and wonder of the resurrection story and the awe and wonder of what God is creating, uh, is what is emerging, I should say, in terms of God's new creation. 
that was begun um, with the resurrection of Jesus. Hmm. Some powerful stuff. What, what's your greatest hope for, for God's space? Um, my hope is that we'll, we'll continue to be and grow as a resource for people that are wanting to uh, explore new approaches to spirituality and who are wanting to introduce, introduce their churches to those as well, or that are looking for creative resources, that we will continue to build uh, a resource space for people. Um, you know, I think one of my favorite pages on Godspace is the resource page, you know, where we have different sections where people can go in immediately and um, find resources on the different liturgical seasons, as well as on things like Celtic spirituality, hospitality, which I feel is a, a huge area uh, that we should be interested in from a church perspective, um, and where they can connect to these kinds of uh, Celtic spirituality. You know, these are some of the things that I've been very interested in. And then creative spirituality, we're getting more and more resources on uh, creative approaches, people that are doing colouring, of course, people that are um, um, kind of seeing nature as a place for church rather than in church walls and what are the kinds of resources that we can offer there. Um, those are some of the kinds of things that I'm hoping that we can continue to expand. Uh, also, we have a lot of free downloads available, and I'm hoping that we can continue to expand those and make resources um, available uh, in a, a growing array of ways uh, for people around the world. Now, you had a new book come out at the end of March, The Gift of Wonder, Creative yes. Practices for Delighting in God. It was a beautifully penned book that invites readers to rethink your, our image of God as a commissioner of all things busy and active and to consider the God that invites us into wonder and play and creativity and fun. You wrote, what if finding joy in the divine presence is the greatest way to glorify God and become who God created us to be? Take us a little bit into uh, your spiritual journey and what caused you to, to write a book about wonder. Well, I, I think like many of us, I grew up with a very authoritarian view of God, uh, a God that, um, it, you know, punished us when we did things wrong or when we didn't kind of think inside the box or um, work inside the box. And um, I think to a certain extent through my experience in refugee camps, I started to realize um, that this kind of God just didn't kind of provide me with the kinds of, um, uh, I suppose you could say, life resources that I needed uh, to journey on. And I started to question the existence of God. But uh, what happened instead of moving away from God was that I started to realize that I needed to reimagine God, um, not God as an authoritarian kind of person, but God really as a creative um, and fun-loving kind of, um, I say person, but I re really mean entity. Uh, who loves to laugh, who loves to express joy and really wants us to find delight in the joy of being in this God's presence as well. Um, and it was through um, discovering things like Lectio Divina um, and other creative approaches. I started walking the labyrinth, which I know some people think, oh, you can't 
well, the labyrinth, you know, this is not <laughs> kind of um, Christian. But it's interesting because one of the things I discovered was that uh, Christians have been using labyrinths since way back in the, the third century. That's the earliest that they've found labyrinths in churches. And I thought, hmm, maybe this is something that I can use effectively. And I found that these kinds of practices started to kind of free me up uh, to be uh, more in God's presence and then uh, encouraged me to become creative myself. I started, I think one of my first forays into creativity was actually painting on rocks. And this was kind of in the days when people hadn't discovered rock painting as a fun thing to do. But I um, started, I, I don't know why, I think I was kind of um, doing some contemplative stuff and I thought, oh, I want to be able to make a more permanent record of this. So I picked up a rock and I started painting on it um, and writing a word and then decorating it. And it was like, wow, this is not only fun, but there's a real sense of drawing me closer to God in the midst of this. Um, and then I started combining that with my a love of gardening um, and started creating contemplative gardens. I, I think, um, you know, I'm one of these people who can get bored with traditional things. I can get bored with what I'm doing. And I, I love the liturgical calendar, but I found that I was getting a little bit bored with Advent reefs and things like this. And I wanted something that was specifically me um, and in some ways a little more fun to enter into. And so I started to create contemplative gardens and I'd um, colour rocks and I'd put them in my gardens. And it was like I just started to blossom in terms of my creativity. And I kept was looking for, for new things. And I, I found that the joy of God started to bubble up within me. Um, and then I started, you know, basically, I suppose you could say going out into the world and using some of these practices to, to help me notice the places where God was alive and, and functioning in a, in a way that I hadn't noticed before. I tell people in, in the book, I talk about or uh, how when my husband and I were, um, well, when I was researching awe and wonder, uh, and started to find out that this is something that really can impact our lives. My husband and I started to call our um, daily walks awe and wonder walks. And we started pointing out to each other the things that gave us a sense of awe and wonder. And I found that I've now uh, expanded that to use it as a way to notice um, in, in other parts of my life. And particularly... Uh, when I fly now, I'll always open the window. I, one of the things I've noticed is that most people have the window shades down. And I love to open the window shades and look down and take photos and, um, at, of, of the beautiful things that I see and think, oh, there's God at work. I particularly love, for example, tracing the um, path of, of rivers and thinking, oh, you know, the, the windy, meandering paths. And I think, oh, that's God doodling down there. And it's kind of given me both an enjoyable and a fun-loving way to look at what it is that I'm seeing. And, and so that's a lot of what I explore in the book, uh, recognizing that God wants us to enjoy our spiritual practices and find joy in God as we get involved in these things. 
So you're the person that keeps opening the shade and causing me not to be able to see what's on my, my iPhone, the movie I'm trying to watch while I'm flying. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and that's part of what I've noticed is that I look around and, and people aren't interested in, in what it is that they can see outside and the beauty of God they kind of got their eyes glued to these screens. And I think oh, we're re- missing out on the real awe and wonder for, I think, the kind of make-believe awe and wonder that we see on the screens. Now, don't get me wrong. I love to you know, watch movies and things like that. But I think we often miss out on the beauty and the awe of what God is involved in doing uh, because we have our eyes focused on those screens. So (laughs) I just always recommend leave the blind up the whole time, because if you open up midway through, through flight, there's nothing more blinding than opening the air. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I agree. Yes. (laughs) And that's what I do. The moment we're taking off, I usually open the blind and I look down and I think, oh, what is it that God wants me to notice today uh, that gives me a sense of awe and wonder and give me the sense of, oh, isn't God great? (laughs) And look what God's doing. (laughs) This podcast is presented to you by the Center for Congregational Health. At the Center, we believe God has called and empowered congregations to change the world. For 25 years, Center consultants, coaches, and educators have been supporting congregations, clergy, and lay leaders as they meet the ongoing challenges of congregational life, including training ministers to manage transition, helping congregations work through polarizing conflict, coaching clergy to discover and utilize their gifts for ministry, and assisting congregations in discerning God's call to future missions and ministry. Center consultants and coaches don't dispense expert advice. Instead, they recognize the uniqueness of each congregation and work to create the space needed for God's people to discern and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Please visit our website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about the center and find the help you need in order to thrive in missions and ministry. You wrote, uh, obviously, uh, you know, we look to children um, for these wonderful displays of imagination and creativity and, and wonder. And you wrote, uh, questions test boundaries as kids seek permission to stretch beyond the confines of their small world. Children need to know that it's okay to have doubts and be unsure. They are content with the mystery and wonder of questions that cannot be easily answered. Adults need the same kind of freedom. What kind of thing were you experiencing or seeing other people experience in their faith journey that you needed to write? It's okay to have doubts and to ask difficult questions. Well, let me just backtrack slightly and to say uh, what I should have said <laughs> before this was that the, this book, to a certain extent, came out of um, that phrase that Jesus used, unless you become like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom. And so I asked the question, what are the childlike characteristics that make us more fit for the kingdom? In fact, I posted it on Facebook and I was just amazed at the number of responses I got. So I took uh, 12 of those characteristics and uh, did research and looked at, you know, what about these childlike characteristics make us fit for the kingdom? And of course, one of the Um, characteristics that I looked at is curiosity and questioning. And I think that part of what it made me realize, I think two things that probably led me in this direction is firstly that I had a lot of questions. 
Uh, and there have been times when I've had a lot of doubts about my faith. You know, I mentioned working in the refugee camps. And I think whenever, you know, we go through times of pain in our lives and in our world, I think doubts arise, um, questions arise. And often we've been discouraged in the church from asking those questions, which means that either we move away from faith or we kind of... Um, damp down those questions and it's like I, I, I think really um, our faith suffers and um, it's almost like there's a wound that's festering underneath because we're not willing to ask questions or we're not given permission to ask questions and I think looking at kids in the way that they ask questions uh, has made me realize that those doubts are acceptable um, and I think it's Thomas Merton that says, without doubts, faith does not exist. Uh, you know, unless we admit our doubts, it's a, the doubts that help us to grow, I think, in our faith. Um, if we think we've got it all nailed down, if we don't ask questions, then we really get to a point where we, where we stagnate in our faith. And I, I think, you know, you can learn that from kids because they just keep asking questions and asking questions and asking questions. And if we kind of keep suppressing those questions, then those kids, well, firstly, I think they lose their joy uh, and who, who it is that God has created them to be. And secondly, they stop growing in the ways that God intends them to grow as well. And, and yes, we're the same as adults. We need that kind of same freedom. Hmm. You know, I've often looked at, you know, that famous story that takes place in almost all the gospels of Jesus being presented with, with the children. And, you know, we often think about it as the, the childlike faith as this innocent and pure faith that's just willing to, to trust. But, you know, if you've had children before, Children ask a lot of questions and a lot of really difficult questions. I remember my uh, seven-year-old when she was three, we were laying down at night and she asked me a loaded theological question. I was like, whoa, where did that come from? And no, we might not. Let's talk about that in the morning. We don't have time to unpack that now, you know. And, and uh, to me, this, I, I've always, and maybe it's been being a father has helped me understand it in that way, that Jesus is also inviting us into um, a sense of, of difficult questions and understanding that sometimes there's not always an easy answer or an answer to something and to turn to the wonder of and the mystery of God in those times where there, there might not be an answer or something that fits into our boundaries as we can think about it. Oh, I, th I think that's very true. And I think that um, when we connect to the mystery and the awe and wonder of God, um, the, we, we can sit more comfortably with the fact that we don't have answers to those questions. You know, it's when we think that everything should be uh, intellectually explained um, and that we shouldn't have any questions that faith, um, it, yeah, we, we either move away from faith, as I said before, or we get confined in boundaries that eventually stifle us, I think. Um, but it's the connection to awe and wonder that allows us, I think, to sit with uncertainty and to sit with doubts and, you know, to explore mystery rather than intellectual truth, as it were. Uh, not that we don't need intellectual truth, we do. I mean, obviously, as a physician, I'm a pretty intellectual kind of person and I enjoy that aspect of faith as well. 
but unless it's balanced with a willingness to accept mystery and awe and wonder, I, I think somewhere along the line um, we we lose out or or something breaks, I think, for us. Mm. Well, you invite people into deep introspection in this book. Um, you know, you ask people to contemplate and to practice um, wrestling with difficult questions. And, and one of the, the fascinating points that you, you draw to in the book, and again, we don't want to disclose too much because obviously um, University Press would want us to say, go buy the book, but um, <laughs> you call people to a, a place of, of gratitude. And, and I'm, a, I'm a self-proclaimed cynic. The, the, those that have spent any time with me would confirm that to be true. Um, but I feel like it's a, the social norm. We are a culture of complaining um, nothing is ever right. Nothing's ever good enough. And I know the desire for, for progress in our culture uh, must be pushed by a desire for change. However, I feel like it's also to the neglect of us finding satisfaction and appreciation uh, for the progress that has been made or for what we do have in our life. And you wrote, unfortunately, I find uh, that unless I make an intentional commitment to practice gratitude, it never happens what would if our lives look like what would our lives look like if all the complaints the frustrations the anxiety the distrust the confusion the, the criticizing and the grumbling were swallowed up into a life of thanksgiving um, take us a little deeper there well i think it came out of the fact that like you i'm a bit of a cynic i think that's a really good australian characteristic you know we we have a tendency to to be pretty cynical about the world uh, and it's easy, to, therefore, to look at the negative aspects of things. Um, and I, it was reading first Anne Voskamp's um, book, uh, I think A Thousand Gifts, it's called, that opened me up to the fact that I needed to start a practice of gratitude. And then another book that I mentioned in um, The Gift of Wonder is The Gratitude Diaries. Um, and I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of the author, but both of those books made me realize that firstly, we need this very intentional practice. Uh, but secondly, it has got to be intentional because I don't think gratitude does come um, easily for any of us. But I found that as I started to introduce a gratitude discipline and what I started with was um, when I journal on a Sunday was I would write I have a section where I write what am I grateful for and I'd look back over the week and think of what are the things that have happened that I'm grateful for and part of what I started to discover was that as I did this it was like my brain would light up I would feel happier I would feel um, you know more content in the things that I was doing and the things that I had and I had a much more positive um, opinion of myself as a result of that as well, you know, because I think it's easy for us not just to live in negativity in terms of the world around us, but I think that spills into the way that we see ourselves. Um, and then I started listening to what other people said, because part of what I found is that it's easy for us to brush off uh, the things that people say that affirm who we are and the things that we do as well. And I wouldn't uh, tend to really take notice of those. So again, adding to my gratitude practice, uh, I am so grateful for what so-and-so said to me today. I am so grateful for the way this person helped me today or during the week. Again, 
it gave a lightness to my spirit and a lightness to what I was doing. And it was, yeah, it's one of those transformative kind of practices. Uh, and I just love the way uh, that at least in certain circles, it's something that people are really grabbing hold of more and more. How do you, how do you see this, uh, this book being used by local churches and pastors? Well, I'm already finding that people are using it in uh, amazing ways, uh, not just as a personal uh, spiritual resource, but in small groups. I've had spiritual directors tell me that they're using it with patients. I've had people using it on retreat um, and personal retreat and also group retreats. Um, I, I'm just amazed. I've, I've had people using it um, in parenting groups, uh, you know, as a resource to help people think about how they're bringing up their kids and what kinds of practices they want to introduce. That's one that, to be honest, I haven't had kids. So in a way, it seems a little ironic that I'd write a book, you know, looking at childlikeness. But I'm finding that that's a place that people are really enjoying uh, using it too. So lots of places that it seems that it's providing a good resource for people. Hello? Yes, sorry. <laughs> I was, uh, you know, we'll let, we'll just let our podcast listeners know this. I always put it on on mute so that I can listen and type type follow up uh, questions. Yeah. And uh, is you know, like the uh, the unmute button was not not working. So uh, <laughs> now you can see how the sausage is made, people. So, uh, what what kind of feedback have have you gotten from from your readers on the book? What kind of responses are you getting? Well, of course, it's only been out a week, but of course, some people have had advanced copies. Um, I have had people that are uh, creating games. I had one woman who has created a game with dice where she actually made uh, big, like six inch cardboard dice as a re result of talking about play. She wrote different words on these and she's been using it as a fun game, both of, for herself and for her small group, who, where they roll the dice and they have to choose two words and then either create a story or write a reflection on those words. Um, I've had others that have been doing creative exercises. Um, and, you know, some that are using the creative exercises that I suggest. Um, and one woman was using it on retreat and was making clay crosses and using finger labyrinths that I talk about as well. Um, so lots of different ways. One woman that's creating collages and for every uh, chapter of the book as she goes through and she's been sending me photos of those and it's just fascinating to see what it is uh, that has been catching her imagination. Um, just all kinds of ways that people are using. I had one person that when she read about the awe and wonder walks that we go on, decided to go on an awe and wonder drive uh, out into the country, which I thought was another fun response. But so lots of different things that people are doing. And um, I'm just amazed at um, both the enthusiasm it seems to be stirring and also the creativity that it's stirring in people. I'm just scared to put it on mute again. So I, <laughs> I, just, I just left it off. Uh, what's, what's your greatest hope for this book? Well, my greatest hope is that it really will enable people to find new joy 
um, in God and in their spiritual practices. I find that our practices can get a bit stale. I think they have for many people. And I'm hoping this, this book will enable people to find new joy and really to expand uh, what they think of as spiritual practice, you know, to think of a nature walk as a spiritual practice, to think of a play date as a spiritual practice, to think of um, questioning, you know, and trying to answer questions as a spiritual practice. These are some of the things that I'm hoping people will discover and will find that their lives are enriched by. I've certainly been enriched reading it myself. Um, so for those that want to stay connected uh, with Christine, you can visit godspacelight.com. You can, of course, follow her on Twitter and go out and purchase The Gift of Wonder. Uh, Christine, thank you for challenging us to rethink our conception of God and to slide headfirst into a faith of wonder and joy. Thank you. Well, that's it. That's our episode. Be sure to check out our annual sponsors' websites, the Center for Congregational Health at healthychurch.org and Fuller Seminary at fuller.edu. For more information about the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, including stories about our church starters, field personnel, leadership development, peer learning groups, and advocacy, visit cbf.net.